1: BGA's fifth birthday! Woo! We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you five years of ad free episodes.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better
1: lip-syncing. Find out more At dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with Board Gamers and the Insane Fun. We have at the table together for the last five years. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Anthony, can you believe it? Man, it's been
0: five years. Uh, yeah it's it's kind of crazy this podcast is almost as old as one of my children and (laughs) older than the other one which when we started didn't mean anything but now that they're almost in one's in second grade and the other one's almost in school it's a little weird (laughs)
1: like uh it's like my third child it's true and probably your favorite right
0: oh yeah well (laughs) who will listen to this he might listens occasionally, so your kids might your kids might listen to this many many years later. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna listen to the fifth birthday episode in like eight years, right? Not like an actual episode. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. I we started this way back in the day. I honestly, I was like six months into the hobby at the time, and we were all just like, let's talk about board games and that's that was it and we had no idea what we were doing and you can go back and listen to the first few episodes and hear exactly that and with my supreme editing skills which were just turn it on and watch tv and occasionally pause it if somebody said something really bad or cursed
1: so we've come a long way not to mention the one mic that we had that yeah (laughs) you know wonderfully collected all of the sounds of our gigantic space because you know, if you're doing a podcast, you want to have as much ambient noise as possible in a room. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, let's use a snowball microphone in my basement with my boiler and <laughs> like an open door to the bathroom like five feet away. It. Hey, we were new. We've yes. learned, right? <laughs> fine.
1: And we were anonymous because this was one of those great hobbies that we both had just gotten into. And when we jumped into it, we jumped all the way in. Oh my god, yes. yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where just dis- it was like discovering a, a new planet or something. It was just so wondrous, so deep, and we went completely down the rabbit hole. And five years later, I don't think that we're out yet. I think we we keep going a little bit deeper.
0: Yeah, yeah. I keep, like, every year my resolution is to not go deeper, to maybe stay at the same level and catch up a little, and it just doesn't happen, so... I don't know, man. It's like it's a good name for a podcast. That's, that's all I gotta say.
1: Yeah, I, I was recently at our friend Dave's house and he was showing off his board game collection in his Kalex holder, and he was like, you know what? I'm I'm really working hard to cultivate my games, to have like the perfect collection, really slim things down. I'm like, yeah, I should do that one of these days as the board games start to surround me more and more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, it's, it's been a great five years, and especially it's been a fav- great five years because we have all of you with us for those last five years. Whether you're brand new to the podcast or you've been listening from the very beginning, these episodes are meant directly for you. Anthony and I work very hard to ensure that we bring the best in gaming to you, let you know if those games are an outright buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, so if you're at a game night and you're not too sure what to play, maybe you'll remember are at the tables and you'll jump into a game before it's too late and someone takes up all those seats and really enjoy that game. If the game is okay but there are better options possibly at that night, then you want to dodge that game in the nicest way possible, of course. And then you know, on occasion, there is a game that's just going to suck the life out of you, take all your time, and just make you just – Really rethink your choices, especially about board gaming, and we do not want you to do that. So those games are a burn. We want you to avoid those stuff. When we review games, we think very deeply about what you're picking up, what you're adding to your very limited amount of space, and where your dollars are going to go the furthest, and where is the best place to pick up those games, and all of the retailers that are available for that. So it's been a work of service for us and hopefully it's helped serve you and we are definitely looking for another 5 great years. Yeah, absolutely. No reason not to
0: hit 10 and 15, 20, get this kid into college.
1: <laughs> there you go. But then you got all that, you know, board game debt that you have to deal with at that point.
0: That's all right. We'll pay it down, we'll marry, we'll marry the podcast <laughs> off, maybe we'll find a nice uh, true crime podcast and there you go they're they gonna have little <laughs> podcast babies
1: <laughs> we're gonna spin off forever we're gonna have you know podcasts a podcast and eventually your kids will take over the podcast anthony and then someone will mention to them on the fifth anniversary you know how much you love this podcast so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll be going back and cleaning out the records like, wait a second
1: <laughs> dad <laughs> it's been a fantastic journey and we've loved every step of it with you and we are so thankful For you listening to us each and every week, Uh, especially the weekly podcast is a lot of work and a lot of energy goes into it. Hopefully you're enjoying the fact that there's always a podcast there for you talking about the latest and greatest in board gaming. But, Anthony, there is so much more that some people may not know about. We've since, at some point in our starry history, started up a Patreon account because... We wanted to be able to go from monthly to weekly because we wanted to bring out more episodes to everyone and we were playing more games and thankfully a lot of our listeners joined us on our Patreon account. I guess for those who haven't yet, we should let them know about all the great episodes and the extra content. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, Patreon uh has been up for a little while, but you know, we've people have been great enough to to kind of jump on and help us out here. We have six bonus episodes up there now. We started doing this this year, and we uh, aim to put one up every month, uh, give or take, depending on the con schedule, and we have a bunch of good stuff up there now. So the newest Patreon episode just went up last week. That's our Terraforming Mars Deep Dive. It's a 36-minute conversation about Terraforming Mars, why we love this game, what we kind of don't like about this game, (laughs) the future of the game, and all that. something we don't necessarily have time to do on a full episode, but we really wanted to dive into Um, Before that, we had a a listener-recommended episode, Games from Around the World, so games that are published somewhere other than North America or Europe. We had What Game World Would You Want to Enter? So we're talking about different types of game worlds that would be interesting to be part of. We had Euro-style cooperative games brought on by the, the rise of Gloomhaven and other games like that that are kind of putting Euro mechanics into adventure games and generally traditionally more Ameritrash type games. Card Drafting Mechanic Showcase, we talked about our favorite card drafting games. And then uh, we went back and talked about Eric Lang and all the different games he's released over the years. So as you can tell, every month it's something a little bit different. And if you do back on Patreon, you can hop on our Slack group. Everybody who backs gets that link, and you can let us know what you'd like to hear. So uh, whether it's a specific game, a specific designer, a specific mechanic, or just some crazy idea you have and you want us to do some research on or just share our thoughts on, let us know. Most of these make the cut because we're always looking for good ideas. So if you have something cool you want us to hear and um, you're thinking about backing on Patreon, you know, just let us know. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, a dollar a month really goes very far for us. This podcast does cost money to put out. And since we started, we obviously added and upgraded our website. So boardgamersanonymous.com is just kind of completely blown out. I mean, you're not going to find a website with more diverse content, written articles. We have links to videos, the podcast, everything's there. It's beautiful. It's a great resource for you. So if you are trying to figure out what game you want to buy, this is probably the best spot you can go to because Anthony especially does a great job putting together all these excellent articles And the links where they can, you know, find these great games. And obviously, we added our Facebook account, we added Twitter, we added YouTube. So, a lot of listeners listen on YouTube. So, we were thankful that you listen that way. Obviously, we're on Stitcher and a whole number of different podcast platforms. And I guess, as you mentioned, we talked about Patreon, but we should also talk about we had Kick in the Habit, which was our Kickstarter podcast that I ran. And currently, our other podcast, Every Night is Game Night, just hit its 100th episode. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a start on the lark a couple years ago. As,
0: uh actually started as a segment on this show where I talked about solo games because that's a thing I do. Jason hopped on board like episode five and it just took off from there. So up to 100 episodes there if you like solo, co-op, thematic stuff. It's like 80% solo co-op these days, but occasionally we talk about some other things. Um, it's a lot of fun and that one's out every week too on Fridays.
1: Yeah, and this helps us a great deal because we always want to bring you more content. As really hardcore, obsessive gamers, we're always thinking about what we could do better. So even when we leave a game night or leave a podcast, what could we have possibly done better? So we really do absolutely positively want to hear back from you, especially on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can rate the podcast and leave a comment there. You can reach out to us on our BoardGamersAnonymous.com website or, of course, all our different social media platforms. We want to do more coming up in the future, whether that is more YouTube videos, more articles, more podcasting, maybe even Twitch. Ideally, we'd like to produce so much content that it really fills out the board gaming industry. So please consider checking us out on Patreon so that we can bring out more content to you. All right, Anthony, so that's a lot of great stuff. That's been going on, not just recently, but over the last five years. It's been a great time working with you and obviously working with all our, all our guest hosts and all our listeners.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. You know, all the people have come on and all the things we've been able to do. And the two of us sticking here. We've been here for five years. You've been there for every episode. I've been there for like 98 and a half percent. Through birth of
1: children and sickness and everything. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been a blast. All right, everyone. So that's what's been going on with BGA for the last five years. Let's talk about what's going on with you. Anthony, what is our question of the week? All
0: right. So question of the week this week. Uh, There is a trend right now of board games that can only exist on Kickstarter. So we have games like Gloomhaven. We have games like Seventh Continent. These games are so big, so expensive to produce that they generally cannot exist in the same realms as some other games. Now, Gloomhaven has kind of broken that a little bit. You do see that game in retail occasionally. It is incredibly expensive, but there it is. But my question for everybody was, what already published Kickstarter games, so games that were Kickstarted and have been out, would you like to see have a new Kickstarter campaign with reprints, expansions, and new content? So similar to what Gloomhaven and Seventh Continent, especially Seventh Continent, which had an expansion in it, what they did but for other games. So we had a few good responses here. Uh, Xavier mentions Rum and Bones, Second Tide. He wants to see a new crew for that game. Uh, Haven't been a lot of new content since the Kickstarter content. He does mention Gloomhaven as well. So that's a game that we will almost certainly see a second edition or Gloomhaven 2 eventually. That, That game is a cash cow, but I don't know how soon that's coming. William mentions Orleans Deluxe Edition. With all of the expansions being deluxified too, which I think would be awesome. Jeremy mentioned Defenders of the Last Stand. So this is the kind of post-apocalyptic version of Defenders of the Realm. They've done a lot of Kickstarters for Defenders of the Realm on the Eagle Griffin side. Defenders of the Last Stand, I think, comes from a different publisher. So I don't know what they've done with that. But it'd be interesting to see that getting kind of the same treatment. Uh, Steven mentions Blood Rage. We had a lot of people mention Simon games, actually, which makes sense because they have all those Kickstarter exclusives. Uh, I personally would love to see a relaunch of like the Arcadia Quest Kickstarter that I missed. I've gotten all the others, but that first one still elusive. And then we talked about this before the podcast. I would also like to see like a, a Scythe Deluxe box with all the content kind of all blinged out with, you know, at the level that that collector's edition originally was. I know that's not going to happen, but, you know, we're ruminating on fantasies here, so why not,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. There is so much that I like to see kind of reprinted, especially because a lot of people haven't gotten a chance to be able to pick it up. And because a lot of those original Kickstarters were very much unrefined. They were just kind of like, hey, you know, if you back at this level, we'll give you all this extra stuff, which is great. But sometimes that stuff doesn't work really well. And sometimes that stuff really does, but because there's so much extra kind of like chaff in the game, you really do need an essential addition. So returning to any of these games to refine it and really give the kind of the definitive addition would be great. I think for me, the game that could really use kind of a reprint, so to speak, or let's say upgrade, is Feudum. Now, Feudum already had a solo additional campaign that came out. But because it's really well known as being extremely heavy, which it is heavy, but not really extreme at all. I think it's playable by pretty much anybody. And because of its kind of very unique art style, it really kind of pushed everybody away. So I got a copy of this game. I played this game. I love this game. But people still were kind of like repelled a little bit because they really had heard things from early reviews. And really didn't understand what the Kickstarter was trying to do. So I think a new version of this, Refined, would do a great deal to bring this game back to the table.
0: Yeah, that'd be a great one. That's a game that I've been trying to get to the table. And like people's initial impressions of it have kept it from getting there.
1: Absolutely. All right, Anthony. So that's our question of the week. Let's get on to our Acquisition Disorders. So, Anthony, what are you looking forward to coming up? All right, so the,
0: the game that I'm interested in right now is a game that was recently announced um, as a reprint from Super Meeple um, in a new theme, and that's Cusco. Uh, and this is a reprint or re-theming of an early game by Kiesling and Kramer, Michael Kiesling being uh, one of the hottest designers on the planet right now with his Azul and all the other games he's been releasing. And this is actually a re Master reimplementation, whatever you want to call it, of Java, which came out in 2000. So this is a bit of an older game, but this one's going to be moving it from Java, you know, kind of the island theme, to South America, and kind of revamping a lot of the different pieces of it. So the other games in the Mask Trilogy, and this is, there was three games that came out around this time, they called them the Mask Trilogy, they were released by Ravensburger, and they shared a lot of different mechanics in common, but mostly it was kind of a, a thematic mashup. They've they've all been kind of getting this re implementation treatment um recently. And this is the one that I'm probably the most excited about because taking these older games, and this has been happening a lot with render Kinesia's games too, but taking these older games, upgrading the components, upgrading the artwork to like the current standard that we're used to, brightening the game. Uh, the original Java had this kind of I don't know, like borderline scary borderline goofy looking mask on the cover old like 90s style clip art background and you know the the tiles were very simple and old it looks very 90s and then the new one has this bright you know accessible very french cover (laughs) from this french publisher and it just adds a lot to it that i think is going to get more people to check this game out and it's well worth checking out um and java's been relatively hard to find of late too so This is a game, it's a tile placement game, and it kind of, you you utilize action points in different ways to kind of manage the area control aspect of the different tiles that you're placing out. So mechanically, it's pretty familiar, I think, but it has a lot of cool mechanics. It is in that right weight range, you know, in the the mid twos, low twos that we see from Kiesling and Kramer. And uh, I think it's a game that will do well once it re-releases. So I think this one's coming out at Essen. I'm very excited to see this one hit in the U.S. as well. Whoever picks it up. And that's uh, Cusco.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Anthony, I'm looking at a acquisition disorder that I had a little while ago, but it's finally in print and going to become at Essen from Lookout Games. This is Caverna, the Forgotten Folk. And we talked about this earlier, but I wanted to bring it back especially because this is something that's very special about the board gaming industry. This was initially a fan-made expansion that was and I think still is available as a print and play, at least in its kind of basic format. This new version is going to get brand new artwork, which is a little controversial. It doesn't necessarily match the original artwork from Caverna, but it's highly stylized here. And what you're going to get is eight different folks or different factions or different species however you would like to look at it and each each of these different folks so to speak is going to have advantages and disadvantages as a race when they're playing caverna now caverna has unfortunately kind of like just gathered dust because it was one of these games that so many other games had done similar types of things, and Uwe Rosenberg is kind of famous for that. I've recently played uh, News Ford, and they were like, Hey, this is kind of a faster Converna. I'm like, eh, No, I really like Converna. I want to get Converna back out here again. So, having these unique asymmetrical powers that don't break the game but are thematic for the game, I believe will add a lot to the game because we already know that. It's had a big fan reaction with the fan creation of it, and just like My Little Scythe, this is what I really want to see more and more about the industry: is gamers creating content that's play tested, publishers picking it up, refining it, and then bringing it out to the public. is just really a fantastic story and a brand new acquisition disorder that's going to be coming up at Essen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. And it's funny that you put this on here because uh, we hadn't updated the spreadsheet until before we recorded, but I was actually looking at this today and I saw, and this is for anybody out there, but there's a Halflings promo, which is separate from what comes in the expansion that you can order from the Lookout Games website. The Lookout Games website is in German. So you have to translate a little bit, but you are able to order the English version of that. It's like a dollar. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and you can kind of get a taste of this in advance because it is just the halfling's race. Um, I'm also very, very excited about this, obviously, since I'm ordering from random German websites that I'm translating <laughs> in Google Translate. But um, yeah, anybody else interested in that, go check it out. You know, you'll, you'll pay the shipping. Obviously, it's from Germany, but it looks pretty cool.
1: Absolutely. All right, Anthony. So we talked about the games that hopefully will be hitting the table pretty soon. Let's talk about the games that are hitting the table. So for our At the table this week, we want to let you know, once again, what games to buy. They definitely should be on your buy list. What games to play. They should definitely be on your playlist. What games to dodge. And you should avoid at all costs. And what games to burn. They really don't really belong in the industry at all. So, Anthony, with our patent-pending rating scale that has since been adopted by several different podcasts and Twitch stream professionals over the last couple of years... Let's know about your at-the-table.
0: All right. Yeah, I didn't know we were patent pending. When we, did we, we are? that? <laughs>
1: uh, I think it's five years ago, so it's, it's oh, taking okay, some okay, time. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right. Maybe by its well, 10th birthday, it'll actually go through. But uh, we're, yeah, we're happy to share right now because we want everyone to know what the best games are. So, if, you know. So uh, we we do what we can to help out the industry. Uh, All
0: right. I'm going to talk about sword crafters as the first one. I'm actually going to talk about two today and they're both relatively on the light end. This is a 1.5 weight game. So, and the rules say that this plays ages six and up, and I can attest to that. My seven-year-old had zero problem playing this game. So this is a game of building a sword, a three-dimensional sword. So I'm going to talk about this first because I think this is more important than the rules. You are building an actual sword. You start the game with a little plastic piece. You put the hilts in, uh, you put the guard on, and then you, every time you take your turn, you're gonna be adding these little tiles to build out your sword. At the end, it is legitimately like a foot long and a sword, and you can swing it around and you can hit <laughs> things with it because that's what my son did. Um, <laughs> so you gotta be careful with the, with the kids. The game itself is very straightforward. If you showed me these rules and didn't tell me you were building a three-dimensional sword, I probably would just pass on by and not pay attention to it. And that's not to say the gimmick makes the game. What I think it does is it highlights the game and it just works together perfectly. Occasionally, you just get those games where you're just like, this particular mechanism and this particular presentation really works. In this case, what you're doing is you have a tableau of different uh, sword tiles, that are out there every round. And at the beginning of the game, you build your hilt and your guards. The guards are randomized. They each have a gem on them. Uh, And there are six, I believe, gems in the game, different colors, red, orange, green, purple, blue. Um, And what you'll do is on your turn, you're going to do a split. So this is an I split you choose game. You're going to split up the tableau in one way. And the cut has to be completely horizontal or completely vertical. So you split it. Someone else will split it. Everybody gets a split at one time. And then starting with the first player, you pick which segment you want. And one of those tiles in the segments will be the first player token. And so once you take your tiles, you take all those tiles and you attach them to your sword. So usually one person's getting more tiles than everybody else just based on how the tiles are set up. But they're usually also not getting the first player token. So keep that in mind. The goal of the game, though, is one of three things. So you get points for the longest sword. Uh, and that's you just basically at the end of the game lay all the swords in front of you and see which one's the longest Um, you get points for the quality of the sword which is on each side of the sword there are four sides you look at which gem you have the most consecutive uh, pieces of so if you have four purples in a row that's four quality and you get two points for each of those so that's eight points on that side so quality is worth a lot of points. Length is not worth a lot of points. It's just a bonus, but quality is worth a lot of points. And then magic, which is these different cards at the top that you lay out at the beginning of the game, and they'll say something like most red, green, and yellow. And so you count up all of your red, green, and yellow, and whoever has the most gets those points. The more advanced version, you have like pairs or triplets, and you have to count those up. And that's literally it. You do this across all the different rounds of the game. I think it's six or seven rounds. And you see who has the high score done, right? It's a, again, a 1.5 weight game. It's not heavy at all, but I really, really enjoyed it. It, like, it almost feels like, uh, like ticket to ride weight in that you're just taking a thing, doing a thing, taking a thing, doing a thing. But the things you're doing with it are interesting. The I split you choose mechanic. We've talked about this before is great. Nobody uses it as often as they should, but it's really interesting, especially in lighter games. It adds a little bit of depth there that you don't realize you need. And it's accessible. Like again, my seven-year-old had zero problem picking up on that and the intricacies of it. He was all over it. That was really cool. Now the the version that we picked up uh, from Adam's Apple Games is the expanded edition. And the expanded edition has three additional modules in it. So it has relics, which... You add different tiles to the grid that make different things more valuable and makes the game a little bit more complicated. So it's something to keep in mind. It's a different type of tile that mixes in there instead of just sword tiles. Um, there's sword tips that get you new goals at the end of the game based on your sword. And then mastery challenges are just additional mini goals that you have during the game. And this is basically... The expanded edition is what I would bring out if I brought this to game night. So at home, play the normal game, kids love it, take it to game night, add all the extra stuff, and it becomes like a two, two plus weight game. Nice, light, medium game that people can jump into and enjoy the fact that they're building swords, but not feel like they're playing like a kid's super light game. So this also has a solo mode. I have not actually played that yet. I will be playing that and I'll probably talk, it about, talk about it on the uh, Every Night is Game Night. In short order, but right now, uh, you know, despite, you know, me being a heavy guy, heavy games guy, love this game. This is definitely worth picking up. It's definitely a buy. Had a blast with it. Kids love it. People at game night love it. The game as a whole takes maybe 30 minutes to play too, even with all six rounds, because there's just not a lot to do and you're building a sword. So, I mean, don't hit people with it because it will break, but it's, um, you know, a little bit of light jousting doesn't hurt. Uh, that is sword crafters this game is great
1: yeah i was pretty amazed when i saw this and especially as you said like get this a really long three-dimensional sword that's very colorful with those different gems and something that definitely is all about table presence so anything you can do to bring people to the table and you know as you mentioned you can even play with small kids but
0: yeah it's like a it's an it factor you can't really quantify it like we quantify a lot of things like oh the theme and the mechanics and the artwork and this game is I don't know it's just got something about it but just the way they made it three-dimensional and you really have to think about things in different ways and it does make you think a little but not a lot uh it's just it's very clever i really like it the uh, other game i'm going to talk about real quick is rise of tribes this is a new game from breaking games designer brad brooks this was a kickstarter originally but it launched at gen con and in this game it's essentially a civilization style game but it's prehistoric times so You are hunters and gatherers, collecting food, growing your tribe, building villages, and trying to get the most victory points. Now, what makes this game interesting is that it is a relatively short game. It is maybe 45 minutes to an hour, and the reason it's so short is that it is a race. You're only racing to 15 points, and the points can build up rapidly uh, as you get going. So on your turn, you're going to roll two dice and each of these dice has either blank sides, moons, or suns. And then you move those into one of different four different action spaces. The action spaces already have three dice on them, either blanks, moons, or suns, and you push one of those dice out. And then you look at it and you say, do I have two blanks, two moons, or two suns? And that's going to tell you how strong your action is. Two suns is great, two blanks is fine, two moons is bad. And so you're kind of looking at the different actions you're saying well this action will be better for me right now but i really need to take this one even though it's two moons and it's a little lighter and you, you're trying to work with it and people can kind of set you up and block things off and put a moon die in there that maybe hurts them but definitely hurts you and it's very interesting in that way so the four actions themselves are pretty straightforward you have movement and that's just moving different people around the map you start the game with two to three people out there based on how many, which player you are in the player count. There's gathering where you're going to collect different resources. There's three different types of resources based on the three different types of tiles. So there's wood, stone, and fish, which is just food. Uh, And then there is um, growth where you're adding more people to the map. So you add people to whichever spaces you're already on. And the last one is to draw cards. This is the lead action. You draw cards from your personal goals deck. Some of them are develop actions. Some of them are um, achievement actions and the develop actions are spend a certain amount of things and then you now have a special ability that you can use down the line. So like maybe in the future when you do the lead action you draw extra cards. The achievements are just straight points. This is like control four tiles by yourself. I have nobody else on those tiles. It's worth three points. Now three points doesn't sound like a lot but remember the game is over when somebody hits 15. So these can add up pretty quickly if you get a lot of them. The main way that the game really ramps up, though, is by villages. So everybody has a player board and they have a unique set of uh, resources they need to spend to build a village at the end of their turn. You can spend those as many as you want. You can build multiple villages in a turn and you put a village out on the map and you put your guy on it. And then at the beginning of the next turn, you score one point for every village you have. So everybody else has their whole turn after that, after you build a village to try to destroy it. But if you can build multiples, it's very hard to, to stop you. And what I have found is if somebody gets two or three villages out and nobody else does, they're probably going to win the game because, you know, with three villages out and you're already at like six or seven points, that's only three turns until you win. So it really ramps up quickly once stuff starts happening. The ways in which you stop people are pretty simple. The combat is, it's combat, but it's non-combat. Like if you move into a space with somebody else and there's more than five people there, you just remove one of everybody until there's less than five. So it's kind of this math game where you're trying to puzzle out, you know, how many people do I have to throw into that space to make sure that I destroy all of their people? Sometimes it's a lot. But it's pretty simple we are not rolling dice or playing cards to do it so kids can understand it. This is a very straightforward, very uh, teachable and accessible uh, take on kind of the the 4X-ish type of game. It's not really a 4X, but it has a little bit of each of the X's in there (laughs) to to draw from. And I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, for a game that takes less than an hour, that is this light, it's a 2.2. There's a lot of decision making to be made. Uh, there's a lot of different things to worry about. There's a lot of people that can get in and mess with your stuff if they want to. There's a lot of back and forth. It seems like there could be a runaway leader, but there's really not because everybody has the power to stop them if they want to. The game flows really smoothly and I really enjoy it. The one thing I will say is if you buy the base game, the component quality is not awesome. Um, the chits are very thin. They're tiny. The, the meeples are fine, but they're just meeples. Uh, the tiles are fine, but again... It's, it's all very basic level. I think it's 50 bucks too for all this. And I think it's probably a little overpriced for that base level of game. What they have, however, is a $25 upgrade pack that upgrades all of your cardboard chits to these awesome meeples, which is, at this point now that I've played it, definitely worth it because they're not very good. And then all those little meeples are definitely awesome. This is a game that I wish I'd backed on Kickstarter because I would have gotten all of the above for much less money, but... It's something to keep in mind. If you see this game for on discount, you know, 35 something dollars, it's definitely worth it. It's a buy. But if you see it at full price for $50, maybe play it first, make sure you don't mind the components and the quality there. Um, Cards are fine. But again, those the the cardboard is not the greatest quality. So that is Rise of Tribes. Well worth checking out. Um, Nice, pleasant surprise on the lighter end. And had a lot of fun with this one.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to see all the different ways the 4X model has been taken up by a a number of different weight games and different kind of genres here.
0: Yeah, no, it's really cool because 4X has always been so impenetrable. Like you think of Eclipse and Twilight Imperium and it's these are the best games out there. They're some of the highest rated games, but they take hours and hours to play and they're very complicated. So like a gateway 4X game is really a great idea, and the fact that, again, I don't think this is a 4X game, but it has 4X ideas in it. It introduces people to that concept, and I really like it that it exists.
1: Well, that brings me right to my 4X gateway game. This is called Master of the Galaxy from Ares Games. Now, Master of the Galaxy is an interesting 4X space opera game where it's all about managing these different cube resources in your bag. At the start of the game, you're going to get five of each color. So five colors in the game, so you're going to have 25 different cubes in your bag. Four of the colors will be used in a number of different ways to build space routes, to settle different planets, to be able to put on different cards for resources and supremacy tokens. And then there'll be black cubes that'll be able to cancel projects, which will be extremely useful to bring back some of your cubes into your bag and also be able to be used mostly on leader cards but in some other cards too, to, to be able to steal cubes from other opponents. Now, basically the game comes down to one of three different victory conditions. Any of those conditions do you know win you the game. So once you hit one, you win. So what you can try to do is you can try to spread quickly across the galaxy and put out all of your bases. If you're able to do this, you win the game. Instead, if you're able to take over someone else's home planetary system, you also win the game. And finally, there are supremacy tokens. So you'll see these different supremacy markers on cards, on the actual boards when you conquer a planetary system. So if you are able to collect enough of those different symbols of one particular type, you win the game. And that's basically managed by a track that comes along with the game. Now, as I mentioned before, the cubes are really the kind of main engine of the game. So when you start off, you have your original planetary system, you have your bag of cubes, you're going to pull three cubes out from the bag, and now you have a decision to make. Where do you place these different color cubes? the planetary system at least initially is going to connect to three other different planetary systems and there's going to be these three different pathways to those three different planetary systems and they're going to be marked with these little cube spots so what you can do let's say your planetary system happens to be red and the one that you are you're going after happens to be blue you can pick red or blue and start building a pathway that way once you start with that particular color it has to finish with that color So it's extremely important and critical for the game that you manage your bag properly. Now, you can look in your bag before you pull out so you can get an idea of what you have available. But in the games that I've played, this has been a critical problem, most people, at the table because one cube that may not be available throws out their whole strategy. And there were several times during the game where other players were pulling out Handful after handful at the game table and not being able to do anything with it because it didn't match their initial race card or it didn't match their different planetary route systems. So they were like, pull three cubes. This doesn't work. Pull three cubes. This doesn't work. Thankfully, the game runs very quickly. So each round is quick and you can basically take it on your own unless you run down to a conflict situation. But you really do have to plan very carefully. As the game goes on, you are going to have access to other resources. So your race card here, or your species card, is going to give you access to two different things. The ability to build a base, and the ability to build these special type of cards in the game. Now, special types of cards are essential because what they're going to be able to do is give you a special ability throughout the game, possibly give you supremacy tokens, And also be able to give you a place to put your different colored cubes, which is extremely necessary. So there's going to be commerce. There's going to be progress. You'll be able to pick up expansion cards. And in addition to that, there are also government cards. Great because it's very thematic. You can have a dictatorship or a monarchy. And that's going to give you a rule throughout the game once you meet that certain cube threshold. And finally, there are conflict cards. Now, this is very interesting about the game because it's a game all about cubes. So if you do wanna have that X as far as extermination here, you're gonna place a card, a conflict card, between your planet and either an unoccupied planet or some other player's planet, and then there's gonna be a race to put out enough cubes to reach the end goal. If you reach your goal first, then you'll be able to take the victory condition that's listed on the card. Sometimes that's taking over the other planet, sometimes it's just additional cards, And almost always, it's going to be taking cubes from your opponent. So there is a very abstract way of playing this game as far as trying to micromanage the cubes as much as possible in order to ensure victory. And hopefully have enough cubes in your bag so if someone throws down a conflict card on you, you have enough of that particular color to be able to kind of like ward off attackers. As I said, the players that played this game at the table did have a very difficult time managing their cubes because you know you're getting those three cubes you want to do something with those cubes so if it seems like why not just throw them down at the table and put them in a really tough spot a number of times throughout the game you can discard cards to get cubes you can also play cubes on the different planetary systems that'll give you additional cubes but there isn't really a plethora of cubes in your bag at any particular time except for the be- the beginning so you are going to run very tight on cubes, and there are going to be several turns where you're just not going to have the right particular color. So Master of the Galaxy has so much to offer as far as a I wouldn't say a gateway game, because as I said, this is pretty solid as far as the game is concerned. It's a 2.67 out of five on board Game Geek. And it probably should go just a little bit higher because having the right number of cubes are essential and be able to do those calculations is something. I think generally goes to a little bit of a more heavy gamer. Maybe this game should be at least a 3 or a 3.25. I'm going to give this game a play. There was some tweaks to the rules. Maybe an early drafting round where you'd be able to pick up some initial cards so that you could kind of build an ongoing strategy from the very beginning. So maybe everyone gets a commerce card. Maybe everyone gets a conflict card. So at least what they know what they could do for the later rounds. Picking up the cards throughout the game is fun, building your tableau and your species and your special abilities and your leader cards is a lot of fun. This game was very enjoyable, but there was times where it was very difficult to enjoy the game.
0: Yeah, it seems like about what I expected it. Like it's there's a lot there. It seems like really tightly cons, you know, built and constructed, but at the same time I was always hesitant based on how all those things seem to be fit together whether it would actually work in all instances.
1: Uh, it's a great idea. It plays very quickly, and once you get on a roll, once you get the right cards, like I had a card that every time I don't pull a yellow cube, I get a yellow cube. So that's a great opportunity to build to build more cards that utilize yellow cubes. So there's a good strategy right there. But I think there needs to be some early drafting at the very beginning or some random cards given out so that you have an idea of what you could build for and you could possibly have more cubes at the beginning of the game. I think those, like, a a very minor rule change at the very beginning of the game would make all the difference. Now, talking about adding little tricks here and there, I want to talk about a game that I've had for quite some time, was a big game on Kickstarter, and something I was really looking forward to get to the table. This is Tricarion Legends of Illusion from Mind Clash Games. Now, Tricarion is a game about magicians, not the fantasy mages that we typically talk about when it comes to board game pull a rabbit out of a hat kind of deal cut their assistant in half well it turns out that you are one of these fantastic magicians in this very steampunk victorian era putting on these fantastic performances at these different theaters and other magicians are jumping on with your performance putting on their own tricks so at the start of the game you are going to get a unique character And you could, if you have the expansion, you could be able to play with the special abilities that come along with the base set. So you might have, let's say, the Gentleman. The Gentleman is so charming that when he actually goes out to town and not to the theater, he gets additional fame. Now, fame in this game is victory points. So you want to get as much fame as possible. And his fame is always based upon the number of tricks that he has available in his tableau. So it benefits you to have as many tricks as possible for that particular character, but all of the characters have a special ability. I wouldn't say they're game breaking, but they do add just a little bit to the game that's really welcomed. Now, along with your special magician, you're also going to be able to have assistants. Assistants are great because they'll be able to go to town, pick up resources, pick up money, pick up other specialists, and pick up tricks. Now, specialists is really ideal because specialists are wonderful. It could be a manager. It could be a worksmanship that's going to give you something additional to the game. And it's also going to give you an additional little disc. Now, discs in this game, whether they're the magician or they're an assistant or a specialist, those are going to be key because this is a solid worker placement game. Now, each of these different discs shows on it its basic ability So it's going to tell you if that's a magician and where that can go, if it's an assistant or a specialist. And along with that, it's going to tell you how much energy that particular disc is going to have available. Because when you place these discs, these workers out onto the board, there is going to be an energy requirement based upon where you place them. So as I mentioned earlier, you won't have an opportunity to get money, but it's going to take three energy to be able to do that. Now, if you, let's say, for example, put out Specialist, they only come along with two energy. You can pay a Tricarian Shard, which comes along the game, it's little, little nice little plastic crystals, to kind of give your Specialist a boost, and therefore you'll be able to pick a die that comes along in this game that's going to show you how much money you'll be able to take. Once you get that, you flip that die back to X, and now that's not available for anyone else. There's also a a market where you'll be able to pick up resources in the game. There's the Dark Alley expansion, which I highly recommend. And there is, of course, the theater. When you put on a production, you have to be able to previously build the trick in your workshop by collecting the resources that are needed. And then once you have those resources, you'll be able to get the marker tokens for that specific trick. And then once your specialist or your assistant goes to the theater. They can place that trick out there. And then finally, you can send your magician out there to perform that trick on a day of the week. If they perform on Thursday, you get to pick which performance goes on. It will have probably have some of your tokens on there, but probably have some other tokens. So there are going to be a number of tricks going on from yourself and your opponent. You'll score victory points. You'll score money and maybe even tricarion shards along with that. As the game goes on, you're going to be doing this again and again. But in addition to all that kind of fun, the worker placement element is kind of complex. Now, I've already mentioned the fact that each of those discs have an energy listed on it. And each of the spots has an energy requirement. But in order to place those discs out there, there's going to be a programming element that's going to come first. So you'll get a small hand of cards that will have the different places on the board where you can send your workers. And, for example, you might want to send your specialist to the theater, so you pick that card, you place it face down. And once everyone is ready, then you flip those cards over and you send those workers and assistants and magician to the particular places that you stated. Now, if you play with the Dark Alley expansion, which I highly recommend playing with, you'll have an opportunity to get to get special cards that not only will send your particular people to the places that they're going to go but give them a one-time special ability. These are the real kind of game-breaking elements of the game. They're very thematic, they're very fun, and I highly recommend this expansion. Now, Tricarion runs very long. I would say it's going to run, I guess once you know the game very well, it's going to run about three hours if you play with the Dark Alley expansion, which, once again, I highly recommend playing with it. I would never play without it. It's definitely required for a great game. So I am going to give this game a buy, but I want to kind of preface that because it is a very expensive game. The artwork is beautiful. The graphic design is vast, a little confusing from time to time, but this game is definitely worth your money. The theme is something that you don't typically see in a work replacement game, not to mention game in general, about magicians putting on tricks. And there's a lot of replayability with the special magicians the specialists that come available, and of course, a Dark Alley expansion. Yeah, this is
0: a game that I, I don't know why I kept overlooking it. I missed the Kickstarter. I think you backed it and then you never got around to playing it. So I'm like, ah, oh, there must be something wrong with it. I, I got in on this, the newest Kickstarter, the one they just did a couple months ago, got all the extra stuff and the new expansion. I'm very, very excited about it, especially now hearing you, how much you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, the Kickstarter kind of scared the heck out of you because it was saying like, It comes with 155 different components. Now, I don't know if that's the exact number. So many components that you would not be able to close the box. I'm like, I'm holding this extremely heavy box unpunched, and I'm like, well, I'm going to need an insert for this. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't want to open this until I be able to get an insert because I'll never get it back into the box. It really isn't that complicated of a game, and the components really aren't that massive. There are a number of different components and different cards that come along with this game, but it's definitely something you can play. As Anthony mentioned, there was a recent Kickstarter for a expansion for the game. I don't think the game needs an expansion, to be honest with you. I think enough comes with the game that you'll enjoy it for endless numbers of plays, but an expansion is always good. I backed it myself, so... Who am I to say?
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't know if you need this, but I bought it, so you should buy it.
1: (laughs) The game is great. It does take a very long time. It is a little bit of a challenge to teach because, as I said, the worker placement element comes down to where do you place your worker, how much energy is available on the worker, what card did you place them with, and where do you place them based upon the time zone. So it's a little challenging. Do not play without the expansion it makes the game infinitely better definitely worth the buy check this game out it is churcarion all right anthony so finally we get on to our feature review so for our feature review this week we are talking about bga in review in respect it's our fifth birthday and we are talking about our favorite acquisition disorders our favorite at the tables and our favorite feature reviews over the last year. So Anthony, any kind of reflections over this last year as far as what we've been able to put out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this on Every Night It's Game Night the other day where I was we've started talking about Gen Con games there too and how last year brought home a lot of games from Gen Con, was reviewing those until January, but there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that stuck out as like, this is amazing and I love it. But at the same time, I was looking back through, you know, the reviews going back to last year, and there was a handful of games that really stuck out. Like, that, you know, I had to think a little bit on which game I was going to to pick out this year and which acquisition disorders I was really, really hyped about. The other funny thing I found is a lot of my acquisition disorders were released in the same year. So I was like, well, I don't really want to talk about those. I'll wait until ones that I haven't actually played yet or that I've, you know, haven't really hit yet or that I'm still excited about. It's been an interesting year because I feel like the the upper echelon of games is still almost reserved for those Kickstarter, ex- like, things that surprise everybody. They come out of nowhere. And a lot of the stuff that's coming out of the major publishers is kind of falling into that middle grade of everything is good, but is it mind-blowing? I don't know. It's fine. and <laughs> but, but the level of it's fine is getting a little bit higher, like it's it's a slightly better level of fine it's hard to describe it's just the overall average on all games is slightly better but the number of like jaw droppers is still relatively small which i think is it's not a bad thing necessarily it's just you know you expect you know there's 20 percent more games released this year and it's still the same number of amazing games so there was a few a few stuck out to me as like really, really good that I was excited to get, but not as many as I would have expected considering how much we played last year.
1: Games are more accessible and they're more high quality than they ever been before. So you almost always are getting a high quality production. It's really been a fantastic year as far as gaming is concerned. I know the industry has been going up exponentially. So gaming has become huge and we're so happy about that. Our audience reflects that as all of you have jumped on, and the purchases that you've told us about, that's kind of blown up as well. So we want to jump back and take a look at the last year. So Anthony, over the last year, we've had a tremendous number of acquisition disorders. What's kind of been the biggest one for you this last year?
0: Yeah, so like I said, I wanted to pick a game that I don't necessarily have in hand yet. And to be fair, there was like a good number of acquisition disorders that I did pick up and I liked. Some of them were buys, some of them were plays, but none of them were like, oh my god, my brain exploded from amazing. But one game that I'm fairly certain will do that, and I'm really, really hyped for it, and it's coming out here in the next couple months, and I think we'll have it next month for you guys as a review, is Teotihuacan. This is a game that I've had a chance to play through most of the way once. Uh, I got a demo another time, so I have gotten some time with it at the table, and it's just... It's really good. It's really like it is. It's coming out in October uh, from NSKN Games, and it's relatively inexpensive. So, you should be able to find it just about anywhere at a decent price. And I think it's going to be really solid. It's going to be one of those big euro hits that everybody's picking up kind of along the lines of like a Marco Polo or something, but it's not going to sell out because they're printing a billion of them. This one was on my acquisition disorder way back in episode 155. I think it was January or February when it was announced. You know, it's got the design team on from things like Zolkin and uh, Marco Polo. So it was an automatic interest for me, but then having a chance to play it at Origins and see it again at Gen Con, now I am 100% all in. Very excited for this one.
1: Yeah, I am too. I remember getting a chance to play this at least briefly in a demo at Origins. It's fantastic. I I, I think at this point, at least right now, we haven't seen Spiel kind of pop up yet. This is kind of the Euro to beat for the upcoming year. I know Newton was very good and I know there's some big games coming up, but This really is the one that everyone's been talking about, and I can't wait to get to this table. All right, Anthony. So a game that I actually did get a chance to get to the table but have not experienced the full epic awesomeness of it is Dinosaur Island. And I mean the epic awesomeness, dude, about this game because I remember seeing this on Kickstarter and just being like, huh? Because it was a game that was kind of loosely based upon Jurassic Park where you had— all these dinosaurs that you were managing for all these spectators. And it could not be more, I guess, late eighties <laughs> with the colors and the artwork and the box design and the slap bracelet that was a first player marker. And I guess you may not be old enough to know that slap bracelets were a thing in the late eighties, early nineties. Well, yeah. it's also <laughs> a thing for Dinosaur Island for some particular reason. So the game's artwork was so overwhelming and the theme and the just everything about the game, just kind of like it was all in with a totally radical kind of, you know, theming here. And it just, it, it it gave me pause. I looked at it, but it gave me pause. It was, but I, I reviewed it on some acquisition disorder. It was a game that I definitely wanted to check out. I did get a chance to get it to the table with a friend's copy And I was shocked to find it was a very solid game. And especially because despite the fact that it was like neon beyond belief, and there was some color issues and some graphic design issues, but nonetheless, overall, it was fantastic as far as design was concerned because each board told you exactly what you needed to do and was thematically fitting for each step so you would roll the dice and you see what genes would come up and you'd pick the appropriate genes and you would get to certain scientists and you would put those certain genes to map a certain dinosaur and you create a certain dinosaur and you put it in its particular you know living environment and then the people would come visit and if you didn't have enough security the dinosaurs would break free and they would eat the people and oh no that would be bad and so forth and so on and there was all these types of like puns as far as the different park amusements and the different, you know, places that people could go. So it was wonderfully themed. The artwork didn't crush the game. The components were off the chart as far as the plastic dinosaurs were concerned and the metal coins. So it was totally tubular in the most awesome, epic way possible. And I did back the new Kickstarter that came out. So probably around, I think I think it's late October, November or so, we should have this game in hand with its expansion and its two-player mode.
0: Yeah, yeah. This thing is amazing. I, I had the same, almost the exact same experience where I was like, I missed the first Kickstarter because I just was not into it for whatever reason. But as soon as I played it,
1: I was like, oh, now I got to get in on this. So, <laughs> <laughs> good game. Yes, absolutely. All right, Anthony. So that's been our acquisition disorders over the last year, and especially the ones that stand out most above and beyond everything else. Let's talk about the games that hit the table, and they hit the table so hard that a year later, we're still talking about that. What's your year end at the table?
0: All right. So the game that I, I – again, I look back through everything from the year, and I guess certain games got reviewed a little bit earlier on. The one, though, that really stuck out to me, the one that was – the kind of game I was like, I gotta mention this again because it was so good and I don't, I don't hear people talking about it. it. was Anachrony. Anachrony is the type of game that, again, completely overlooked because it looked overwrought. It looked overproduced. It looked like exceptional amount of stuff. It was decently expensive on Kickstarter. But I, you know, got a chance to, to kind of run through it a little bit at Gen Con last year and to get it to the table after Gen Con with all the stuff that goes with it and was just immediately enamored with the game there's so much content here there's so much to do and it's basically at its core just a worker placement game but it adds on all these really cool ideas you have the workers sit in the mechs and you have this idea of time travel where you have this different timeline and you can borrow stuff from yourself but you have to pay it back before the end of the game otherwise you create this weird time vortex this crazy theme that even now is still hard to wrap my head around even after playing it half a dozen times uh recently and it's still it really still sits well as just this really strong game that I wish more people played uh, and it isn't hitting the table as much as I'd like people are still put off a little bit by it because the the theme is just insane uh, But I don't know how else to put that but I really love it and I'm equally excited for the new game by the same design team Cerebria which is coming very soon I did back that one uh but Anachrony is a game that uh, if you haven't played it yet, check it out, especially if you're listening to this podcast and like what we like, you will like this game.
1: Anthony, another game that, as you mentioned, are just completely massive, especially when it comes to Kickstarter is a game that I was not sure if I'd like, and I took it on faith, not to mention just extensive reviewing of its Kickstarter. And that is the Eric Lang game, rising sun. Now, Everyone out there is probably going to say, well, of course, Eric Lange produced such amazing games like Blood Rage. Why wouldn't you think Rising Sun wouldn't be just another instant classic? And you know what? I kind of did. But I was really worried, at least initially, because the early talk about the game was it was very much like diplomacy. Basically, it was about backstabbing and you were kind of plotting against other players. And it was very social deduction in that kind of way. And I really didn't want to have any part of that in a massive kind of war game. It's fine if you want to play Diplomacy, but honestly, count me out for that. But first getting to see those miniatures as Cool Mini or Not always does a great job. Having Eric Lang on that and having this whole Japanese mythological theme on top of it sold me. But as I waited for this game to come in... I was more and more concerned that I just spent a ridiculous amount of money on a game that I probably would only play once and never play again. It turned out that this game was a fantastic success with a number of different game groups, which surprised me and continues to get table time, which also surprises me because Blood Rage was such a fantastic game That I didn't think there was another game that was going to get as much table time as Blood Rage, since both games were quite similar. But you can jump back to a previous episode to find out our little kind of spat about Blood Rage versus Rising Sun. But basically, the game is pretty much boils down to working with a partner to pick a particular action to take, taking the additional special ability that comes with that action you chose, everyone else getting to do that ability most of the time, and then mobilizing your troops to be able to utilize an area control element, an area majority element, in which you're able to control an area, score the victory points for that particular area, taking training cards that's going to booster up your troops, give you an opportunity for extra victory points, and of course, a tremendous amount of fantastic miniatures that are available in this game to kind of fight alongside of you. So all of these different Oni, these different monsters are amazing. The production was fantastic. The paint jobs that different players had done on their pieces was tremendous. And you're still seeing pictures even to today about people painting their different sets and just just wondrous, great gameplay, great components, place with a whole number of different people extremely enjoyable rising sun really excellent a must-buy
0: yeah i i still wish i could get this at a table more often i don't know what it is my group is not interested but i do like it i've had a chance to play it at least once now i, I did enjoy it but I, i'm jealous that's all i have to say <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that Rising Sun runs into one of those problems like Scythe did early on and even Feudum, which I was talking about before, where the theming and the artwork overshadows the complex gameplay. All right, Anthony. So we talked about the greatest acquisition disorders for the last year. We talked about the greatest at the tables for the last year. Let's talk about the greatest feature reviews we did for the last year what's been your favorite
0: i love the brackets we do and i especially like the world cup because we only do it every four years so it's super <laughs> duper special um we do the basketball bracket every year you know it's, it's fun i love doing it every year we do the contest with it too uh but the the world cup is especially fun even though it's twice as difficult to do because we have to do the, the weird round robin pool thing um but we've only done it one other time and then we did it again this year with sci-fi games and it was a blast so I, I think maybe we'll do it again <clears throat> for the women's world cup. Instead of waiting for four years, we can do it every two years. Nice. I don't know what our next theme will be. Cause we've already done fantasy and sci-fi. So <laughs> we've knocked out the two big ones, but it was a lot of fun. We picked 32 games. We knocked out, we picked one winner out of all those 32 games. And then uh, we gave away a game. So somebody got to pick one of their favorite games from that sci-fi list uh, because they got as close to that bracket as possible. And that individual actually did awesome. I think they missed one or two picks out of the 30 plus picks that were in there. Very, very good. So it was a lot of fun. And I I always look forward to those every year when we do them. So the more often we can do them, the better. And hopefully next year or the year after we can do another one.
1: Yeah, I think that we toyed with the idea of becoming Board Game Brackets Anonymous just based upon the fact that we love brackets so much. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. The bracket episodes are generally my favorite episodes, even more so than the top 100. I love going through the games. My favorite episode from this last year was an episode that we redid from a previous one. We kind of updated it because new games came out, thankfully. And in light of Origins, I felt like this was something I should kind of remind people about is that when we cover board gaming, we cover from a lot of different aspects that may not be covered by everyone out there. Obviously, our number one consideration when we cover board games is helping you make your particular purchases. And we've gotten so much feedback from you on that. We're so thankful that we've helped guide you on those great purchases. But in addition to that, we really want to grow the board gaming industry and especially the people at your table. Now, one of the ways in which we do that is try to bring you feature reviews that highlight different gamers and diversity in gaming. And in particular... On episode 156, we revisited the best game for female characterization. Diversity generally in the game is the best part of gaming. Seeing a character's perspective, seeing the world from their eyes, and utilizing their special abilities and talents is great fun. But historically, that has not always been the case. Female characters have typically been nothing more than healers or harlots and nothing in between. So we wanted to bring gamers, yet again, another great list of the best female characterizations in gaming. And we talked about this on episode 156. And in fact, this was the second time we talked about this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's always good when we can have these conversations. You know, most of our episodes are top 10 this or games you might like if you like this. And we love doing those episodes, too. But taking a moment stepping back and talking about things that actually matter and then actually impact the people listening to this podcast is important. And you know, I'm glad we do it. And it's,
1: it's something that needs to be talked about more often. All right, Anthony. So that's been some fantastic year end acquisition disorders at the table and feature reviews. We have all 184 episodes up and available for you. Please take an opportunity to jump back to these previous episodes Don't forget, our Patreon episodes are available. If you're not a Patreon backer yet, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash BGA. I think you definitely want to take a look at that content as well. BoardGamersAnonymous.com, all the social media. We really want to hear from you. And it's been a pleasure and honor to podcast you each and every week. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for this episode. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And for the last five years, and hopefully five more years to come, we'll save you a seat at the table.